Welcome back to Collateral Banter, episode 33. I'm your host, Danny T. In this podcast, I follow rise of authoritarianism, fall of liberal democracy, and the state of global capitalism. At least that's what I claim to follow. Who knows what I really do? But I had to speak of this episode about what I am seeing going on globally and what I think it means for the elections that the United States will soon have in in about a year and a half. Yeah, it's so the elections I'm thinking of, and what I want to talk about today briefly in a very short podcast is what happened in India recently. The Indian elections were really interesting. If you analyzed the elections, most people believed that Modi was going to win re-election. So Modi is the prime minister of the BJP, which is the Hindu Nationalist Party. They've been in power since 2014, and he wasn't doing too well in elections leading up to this most recent election. His party had suffered local defeats in recent months um, and in the last year or two. And interestingly, people were debating if his party alone would have a majority in the parliament in India until February, until February 14th, when there was an attack in the region of Kashmir and close to, I believe, 40 Indian paramilitary personnel were killed in a terrorist attack. Then India launched bombings deep inside Kashmir. That, in many ways, solidified BJP's majority in parliament. If you analyzed the Indian elections from an economic perspective, you would have thought Modi wouldn't have done well. The economy hasn't performed as well as he promised. Yes, there is some job growth, but India is not growing very fast. There was this move to root out tax evasion, demonetization, and it didn't have the boost that they wanted. Essentially, they took out 86% of all the currency in circulation in the economy. And the goal was, the goal was to root out tax evasion by getting rid of large parts of the currencies that could be used to evade local taxes. And so... The impact on the economy wasn't as great. They're still debating it. What I want to say about it is the economy didn't perform well. And you saw that he was losing local elections. After the attacks in uh, February, Modi, everybody sort of assumed, would easily cruise to re-election. And he did. He actually gained more seats. Now, the figures I saw was that he won 303 seats. So yes, he won 303 seats. It was a significant gain from a historic win that happened in 2014. Maybe I shouldn't be drawing parallels, but it made me think of the opposition figure in India. Grandfather, father, his family were the prime ministers of India. He anointed himself the opposition figure and has twice now tried to face Modi. And 
you can't keep losing elections like this and thinking that eventually your tide is going to turn. People don't want to elect you prime minister. And so I, I've seen talking to people who live in India that many people who voted for Modi are big supporters, big fans. That is certainly a large part of the supporters. They believe that India is for Hindus and he supports the nation and the people. Look, it's the populist nationalism that we see happening everywhere from Israel to India to Russia to Hungary, Italy. It's growing in many parts of the world. Estonia, as the news I recently saw, yeah, Estonia has begun electing right-wing populists. And it's terrifying to me to see so many of these elections happening, but it, it should be noted that these types of governments are winning re-election. Okay, if there's one theme that you remember from this episode is these type of governments, nationalist governments, are winning re-election. And they're winning re-election, at least in India, the economy can go poorly and you can still win re-election. Imagine if the economy was booming. It's just unreal. And I looked at a map of India. It looks like the north, the northeast of India is all orange, the color of the BJP and essentially a sliver of the south and the east is resisting. But it looks like an orange invasion just coming up from the top and consuming the center. I, I want to say that to portray Rahul Gandhi as somebody affluent, wealthy, family expectations is the reason why he's running for office. And you get the result that people don't want him to be prime minister. And the terrifying news is if he runs again, I could just see BJP winning again. You have to give people a candidate that people can rally behind that has charisma and isn't portrayed as this is a family dynasty. Please accept a family dynasty to run your country. So my point about a person who I been talking to who lives in India told me that many people are voting for Modi because they support his ideas, identity, it's in nationalism is popular, like I just stated, everywhere. However, there is another group of people that voted for Modi for another reason. They don't see an alternative. They don't see an alternative political program. They don't see an alternative politician to offer different sets of ideas to say, look, this is a person I'm voting for, not person voting against. And what terrifies me about the Democratic Party, and I'm going to bring it back to the Democrats, is in the last election, I'm not here to trash Hillary Clinton because I've already spoken about that in previous episodes. However, one crucial mistake made in her marketing team was to play a large number of ads. I think the first 20, 30 ads that I saw coming out of the Hillary Clinton campaign was Donald Trump on television talking to children as they sat on the floor and listened to the vile things he had to say. And the message there was, you see how crazy this person is, Donald Trump? You can't vote for crazy. No, America can vote crazy, okay? And did, okay? And... I'm not saying that that's what happened in India, that they didn't go to hack, but if you can't get a program 
a set of ideas, a set of values out there to the public to have them debate and support, then you have no chance. You can't just show clips that Donald Trump's in cahoots with Russia and think that Americans are going to vote for the other candidate. They might not vote at all. They might vote third party. You can't, you have to give people a positive message to vote on, to support, to get them actually motivated to go out to the poll and vote. And what's terrifying is you see a lot of the pundits on TV who Donald Trump criticizes endlessly talking about the Democrats can't go too far to the left. They need to stay center because that's where the people are. Well, when the people elected Donald Trump, were they staying in the center, right? Were they staying there? Were they saying, hey, no, that's the moderate candidate. No, the more moderate candidate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump was Hillary Clinton, okay? There's no, I mean, there's almost no doubt about it. I bet you, I bet you Republicans that voted for Donald Trump knew that the safe choice was Hillary Clinton. They decided not to go safe. And it's so fascinating to see the center, the centrist power brokers in the Democratic Party trying to mitigate the more liberal activist base within that party and to say the American people won't vote for you. But it's terrifying to see and hear that in that you could run another centrist candidate and see Donald Trump winning. And does it take him to win re-election for them to finally get the message that just because you're on television in the morning, and here I'm specifically talking about Morning Joe specifically and the people he has on, your opinions do not necessarily reflect those of the voting public. And I'm terrified that they think they have that power and they might convince some democratic establishments to go for the safe choice again and they'll get destroyed by Donald Trump who is not the safe choice, but who is so knows how to activate his conservative base. He knows how to activate his supporters to go and vote. And ultimately, that matters. And what I've seen here in the last two years is a great number of activists waking up in the Democratic Party in 2018 to get a record number of women, get a number of activists elected to Congress. That's great. But if you cannot continue that sort of voter drive against Donald Trump, he will win. And of course, that's not, I'm not saying anything new, but I am terrified that running it safe, like the Democrats know how to do, is opening a stronger possibility for Donald Trump winning. The, the liberal base needs something in the candidacy of whoever wins the Democratic primary to vote for. They need a bold and, and progressive and honestly one that the centrist and the moderates in the party will not like. That is the battle that is happening out here in the streets. At least from my perspective, you need to give a, a reason for people to vote. And that's what I learned from the Indian election, if, if I could take out one lesson. It's not enough to run a safe candidate, one that the Congress party in India, the opposition party, knew it was safe. He ran in 2014. He was going to do better. He had, now has more experience. He's more charismatic. He's been he's been essentially running for prime minister now since, since he last lost. And he's been just running around the state and trying to do rallies and trying to pretend to be a politician. But I don't know how many times the people have to go out in polls and reject the opposition figure. But I can certainly see the same thing happening in the Democratic Party. And it's a terrifying prospect in my mind to see that Donald Trump can easily win re-election 
because the Democrats don't yet have a progressive vision for the country that can rally its supporter and its base to go out there and vote. And yet, I agree that you could throw out an extreme candidate and terrify the country. I don't know, have them vote for Donald Trump. That could happen. I don't see even Bernie Sanders today is no longer, his ideas are no longer seen as fringe and extreme. He's been embraced by a large part of the Democratic Party. Certainly not the moderates, not Amy Klobuchar and Joe Biden. And Joe Biden, I I feel, is he's become a more dangerous candidate because people so want Donald Trump to lose that they're willing to vote for Joe Biden in hopes that by nominating Joe Biden, he won't lose Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. He can't lose. He's the moderate Joe. Everybody loves Joe. And the thing is, I think politics has gone through a shift that the establishment hasn't yet absorbed. It saw Donald Trump's election as a fluke, as a one-time off thing that as long as we go back to the old way of politics, we'll win. And yet I don't see it anywhere. I didn't see it in in the Indian elections, which has just taken place. I didn't see it in Israel where essentially Netanyahu and the right-wing, his right-wing nationalist allies won enough seats to see if they can clobber together a majority in the Knesset, in their parliament. You're not seeing this shift away from these nationalist politicians. And if that's not a warning to the Democrats, I don't know what it is, is if you play it safe in this election, you will lose. If you play the same playbook that Hillary Clinton thought she could run on and easily win, because all the expert opinions really had Hillary Clinton winning this election. I mean, there was no doubt. They, they said, no way could would people go out and vote for Trump. Look at him. He's too crazy. He's saying all these crazy things. He's not even making any sense during the debates. I mean, I heard it all, and yet he still won. And I'm worried that going a safe route by nominating Joe Biden, and he'll choose another safe senator, they're going to lose again. And I just can't take it. You're going to see me break down on every episode of Collateral Banter. We'll just keep going crazier and crazier and crazier. I'm just terrified of these prospects. And yet I feel the slow motion. It feels like 2016 again in my mind. It feels like we're repeating a cycle here of, no, no, we got to nominate somebody who will appeal to moderates and centrists because that's where the country is. Yeah, but will enough of them come out to vote in key states? They have the, the moderate candidates, these independents that people in the mainstream media love to praise and say, they're not the hard liberal values. They're alienating these type of voters and blah, 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 blah. If Joe Biden isn't the nominee or somebody that the party establishment likes, the Democrats are going to lose because somebody far to the left will alienate these voters and they'll vote for Trump or they won't vote at all or whatever. I'm not buying it anymore. I, I think what Donald Trump has, his candidacy has proven is that you need somebody with a liberal agenda that terrifies and scares the liberal establishment. And if you don't have this type of candidate, I'm terrified that they're going to lose this election. And you're going to see Donald Trump radically reform the country. Because if he stays another four years, you can kiss the Supreme Court far goodbye. It won't be 5-4. It'd be 6-3, 7-2. And that could take the country into a far conservative 
a dream world and it could set back everything the Democrats have been pushing for the last 50 or 60 years. If there's one thing anybody, anybody listening take note of is Republicans, they often stay in line, they unite behind their candidate and they get out to vote. It isn't just about protesting, go out and marching. They don't mind the Democrats do that. In fact, I bet you they don't mind lots of marching all the time, every month, but they're going to use social media to convince the liberal voters, the hardcore Democratic voters, not to come out for the moderate centrist candidate. And in many ways, you can weaken their support by convincing people that the centrist candidate is going to betray you, is corrupt, is all of these things. And they use social media to target the ads directly at the most likely voters. And that, that to me is so striking, the technology that we have today, the ability to target ads specifically to a person. If it's a labor union organizer who's supporting Bernie, could get ads if it's Joe Biden is the nominee that is saying Joe Biden siding with corrupt business practices, is siding with credit card companies, is siding with the corporations against you, is looking to gut you. And the goal there isn't to convince that labor union activist to go and support Donald Trump, but it's just to go out there and not vote for Joe Biden, is not to go out, especially if they live in Michigan or Ohio or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin. You can begin to target these ads and use this technology that we have today to really go after certain voters. It's May 28th in 2019, and I am fearful that this strategy is working. And you've seen Donald Trump today doing this, trying to go after the African-American voting base and trying to get them to oppose a candidate like Joe Biden, right? Because if he can repress the black turnout in the election, put into play Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and win those states in the Electoral College, that's, that's going to be Trump's strategy. He doesn't need to necessarily increase his support of voters. He just needs to divide his enemy. And Dividing your enemy is one of the most successful strategies in war and in politics. And you'll see this. If Bernie Sanders does not win the nomination, then Trump will try to convince Bernie's supporters that it was rigged again. And they will create stories or find stories published in the, published in the media and get those stories pumped in to Bernie's supporters to not go out there and support whoever the nominee should be. In many ways, it could be something like Mitt Romney in 2012, when Republicans nominated Mitt Romney. What the Republicans were thinking in 2012 might be what the Democrats are thinking in 2020. That's what I mean to say. It is the Republicans thought they were nominating a former Massachusetts governor. He's not a considered a hardcore conservative. He stood up against Trump in the 2016 elections and made a very strong speech against Donald Trump, against what he believed in. Yet the Democrats could be falling into the same mentality, the same trap that I think the Republicans saw in 2012. It is in many ways politics becoming a clash, clash of the bases. If the turnout is high and strong, it tends to favor the Democrats. But you've seen voter suppression efforts working in many states with voter ID laws. And the goal isn't to repress, you know, 10% of voters in that state, but it is to, to stop 
a couple thousand, maybe ten, maybe in the tens of thousands of voters from getting their votes counted and for getting their votes counted in specific states and having those states go for Donald Trump. Now, the 2018 election was vital for the Democrats winning because they won big in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And I'm not sure that Donald Trump's going to find the same level of support in those states. But if there's one thing I can say is do not underestimate Donald Trump's political campaign skills. Do not underestimate his political campaign skills. You might hate the way he governs. You might hate the things he talks about. But his political campaign skills are strong. And he knows how to work the media. He, the media is obsessed with him. Every channel, every newspaper, every article is constantly talking about him. And that gives him a huge advantage over a candidate that cannot break into this field, into the mainstream mold that is just constantly churning out commentary about Donald Trump. Because in Donald Trump's mind, he does not care if what is being said about him is bad, good. He doesn't care as long as they're talking about him. It's an egocentric campaign. And he knows as long as it's maintained his name in the newspapers and in the articles that people are tweeting about or sending to friends, he's winning. And he will win. And I'm saying this right now, more than a year out, that Donald Trump will win if the candidate cannot break through the media cycle that Donald Trump currently dominates. I don't know what kind of candidate can do that. Right now, it's got to be somebody that has media savvy skills. Or if it is a mainstream candidate, they can throw a Hail Mary by nominating a vice president out of the mainstream, somebody unconventional. And in many ways... John McCain did that with Sarah Palin, a candidate a few had heard of, few expected, but really excited the conservative base. And if Democrats don't nominate somebody who can excite the base in the top of the ticket, they should definitely use it as their vice president. Hate to, again, mention 2016, but Tim Kaine doesn't cut it. Tim Kaine doesn't excite anybody. You're likely to win Virginia regardless if you had nominated Tim Kaine. You have one choice in the campaign, and it is who your vice president should be. And so what I want to say in this podcast is essentially is the Democrats need somebody who is not so extreme to alienate the broad base of supporters, but is extreme enough to excite many Democratic constituents who want a candidate will have a vision policies that they can at least hear about, talk to friends about, and rally behind. Because if it's more about Donald Trump shouldn't be president because he's a traitor and he's a Russian asset or something like that, oh, they're going to lose so badly. They're going to lose terribly. They might even lose the house. I mean, it could just be so terrible that I'm already panicking just because I saw what happened in Israel. I saw what happened in India. Nationalists are extremely hard. They have an appeal. And I see what's happening in Russia. I mean, I see what's happening in Venezuela and in Iran. And if there is a skirmish, if there is fighting, if there are shots fired by the U.S. military against Iranian troops or Iranian vessels or in Venezuela a few months before the election, Donald Trump was almost guaranteed to win in November. And that's what terrifies me. And nationalists, populist nationalists, they will win if, if that is happening months before or weeks before the election. 
again, it happened in India. It happened in Israel in many ways. And I could see that these external skirmishes could happen and could have a growth in Donald Trump's support. Now, my last point here is today you're starting to see the markets, at least in the last couple, last week or two, the markets begin to tumble or at least worried about a recession. Reverse in the yield curve between the three-month and the 10-year. And what, uh, what that has historically meant is recession, J.P. Morgan, is warning now about potential recession watch in the country. That is the headline I saw. The next downturn could see a radicalization of policies used during the financial crisis. That is the top news I saw on CNBC today. China is not afraid of the United States anymore. Uh, Maybe China was 10, 15 years ago. It didn't want to upset the United States. It had invested a lot in the United States. But China has many weapons over the United States. It could hurt itself if it stops buying U.S. treasuries or sells them or withholds rare minerals that are used in a lot of the technologies and laptops that we have today. China has many levers to push the United States. In this trade war and about tariffs with China, it is a fight Trump wants to so he can capture the base of support in these Midwestern states that I've been talking about, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. However, there are a lot of farmers in the country that are getting money from from subsidies from the federal government as they suffer the consequences of China putting tariffs on their farm exports. But the way the stock market is going right now, unless there's a major deal made by the United States or China, I don't see this being resolved anytime soon. It might not even need to make a deal, even if its economy suffers. Xi Jinping did say, I think a couple weeks ago, that sacrifices will need to be made. And I think he's already warning his population that economic turmoil might might take place in China in the next year or two. He's warning people to be prepared for it. And that is that will have impact on not only in the United States, but throughout the world now that China is the second largest economy in the world. So skirmishes abroad could make Donald Trump a formidable and near guaranteed winner in the election in 2020. So that's the way I want to end this amazingly uplifting episode of Collateral Banter. Thank you for listening. Episode 33, more to come. I need to do more interviews because while I enjoy talking to myself in a room, I need to interview more people. So I hope you keep listening. Thanks for listening. 